though as we were discussing, uh, rather than rush through this uh, beautiful Bogner town, let's just slam on the brakes, back it up, and do it nice and sweetly and slowly. So we're going to go through the uh, introduction. And uh, as I said, we're not in any hurry. So if you have any questions, comments, if you'd like something read again, you know, I thought that was very appropriate last night. You know, some of this we're going to hear because there's so much philosophy here that Prabhupada is showering us uh, with that we may want to say, hey, say that again. You know, I want to rehear that, to, to think it, you know, to digest it. So <clears throat> feel free to chime in at any time. If I don't want to acknowledge, I'll just ignore you. It's a very interesting, very deep philosophy. But if we, as we've said before, uh, if we hear submissively and attentively with a desire to understand, Krishna will grant it. See, we're not qualified. Our brains are not qualified. We're not spiritually developed enough to associate with uh, persons like this, you see. We're not qualified to hear this. This isn't for us. This isn't for Westerners, it's not for a common man. This is the kind of discussion that pure devotees have. Paramahamsas talk this talk. But if we hear with a desire to understand, Krishna will say, oh, this is so sweet of you. I'll grant you the ability to understand. And it's kind of chilling when you think about it. So, out of Lord Chaitanya's mercy, <clears throat> we're going to be able to understand uh, the Paramahamsa language. So, uh, I'll start with the introduction. The conception of God and the conception of absolute truth are not on the same level. The Srimad Bhagavatam hits on the target of the absolute truth. The conception of God indicates the controller whereas the conception of the absolute, indi uh, absolute truth indicates the summum bonum, or the ultimate source of all energies. There is no difference of opinion about the personal feature of God as the controller, because a controller cannot be impersonal. <laughs> you know, think about that. You can ask people, you know, sometimes you talk with some of these uh, new agey you know, yogi types and they don't believe, they believe God is a universal energy and that kind of thing. Doesn't have a form, no face, no eyes. Well, do you believe that uh, this energy is controlling everything? Well, yes, it, yeah, oh, sure, yeah. Well, then it has a mind. It has a mind as personality. Personality refers to a person. Persons have bodies, you know. Whether or not you want to agree that, that he has a body, you have to agree that he has a personality. Otherwise, this is all random. This happening is all random stuff coming from some subtle computer somewhere. You know, it doesn't make sense. It really doesn't. Even then, the computer needs a program. Exactly. <laughs> You got this computer, even, okay, how, where, did, where did this thing get its data and programming? Who made the program? Who, who wrote the program? You know, and then some of them, the, the common thing right now in Hollywood and with a lot of uh, people is that, well, <clears throat> uh, life on Earth came, it was uh, uh, planted here by aliens. Extraterrestrials came here in their spaceships and they, they uh, started life on this planet, you see. We were just, maybe we were just uh, apes, but they bred us with their genes and now we're... So that's where life came from on this planet. There was no God, there was life on, life on this planet came from extraterrestrials. And if you say, okay, let's agree with that. All right, now let's go to the planet where the extraterrestrials came from. How did life start on their planet? Oh, you're doing... You're not denying the existence of God if you believe that extraterrestrials fertilized life on this planet. 
All you're doing is moving it back to another planet. So now explain that. You know, explain that away with your speculation and scientific theories. It doesn't work. You see. <coughs> Of course, modern government, especially democratic government, is impersonal to some extent. But ultimately, the chief executive head is a person, and the impersonal feature of government is subordinate to the personal feature. So without a doubt, whenever we refer to the control over others, we must admit the existence of a personal feature. Because there are different controllers for different managerial positions, there may be small gods, there may be many small gods. According to the Bhagavad Gita, any controller who has some specific extraordinary power is called a vibhutimat sattva, or controller empowered by the Lord. There are many vibhutimat sattvas, controllers or gods, with various specific powers. But the absolute truth is one without a second. This Srimad Bhagavatam designates the absolute truth or the summum bonum as the param satyam. The author of Srimad Bhagavatam, Srila Vyasadeva, first offer, offers his respectful obeisances unto the param satyam, the absolute truth. And because the param satyam is the ultimate source of all energies, the param satyam is the supreme person. The gods or the controllers are undoubtedly persons, but the paramsatyam from whom the gods derive powers, of course, of, of control, <coughs> is the supreme person. The Sanskrit word Ishwara, controller, conveys the import of God, but the supreme person is called the Paramaneshwara, or the supreme Ishwara. The Supreme Person, or Parameshwara, is the Supreme Conscious Personality, and because he does not derive any power from any other source, he is supremely independent. In the Vedic literatures, Brahma is <coughs> described as the Supreme God, or the head of all other gods like Indra, Chandra, and Varuna. But Srimad Bhagavatam confirms that even Brahma is not independent as far as his power and knowledge are concerned. He received knowledge in the form of the Vedas from the Supreme Person who resides within the heart of every living being. That Supreme Personality knows everything directly and indirectly. Individual infinitesimal persons who are parts and parcels of the Supreme Personality may know directly and indirectly everything about their bodies or external features, but the Supreme Personality knows everything about both his external and internal features. He knows everything about his body and our bodies. <laughs> the words Janma Yasha <clears throat> suggest that the source of all production Maintenance or destruction is the same supreme conscious person. Even in our present experience, we can know that nothing is generated from inert matter. But inert matter can be generated from the living entity. For instance, by contact with the living entity, the material body develops into a working machine. Men with poor fund of knowledge mistake the bodily machinery to be a living being. But the fact is that the living being is the basis of the bodily machine. The bodily machine is useless as soon as the living spark is away from it. So, uh, in discussing the existence of the soul, uh, <coughs> I was with Umatma uh, Maharaj many, many years ago, and I think it was in Houston, and he was giving a lecture, and... Uh, there was this hippie couple there, and a uh, boy and a girl. They were really attracted to each other. And, and the boy, it, it, he wasn't so much following this I'm not the body stuff. He's kind of thinking, you know, what makes you think we're not the body, you know? 
because he was kind of a handsome guy and he was sitting next to a really good-looking girl, you know. And so uh, Umapati Morris is, you know how Umapati Morris kind of talks out of the side of his mouth a little bit, you know. He had a stroke years ago, he kind of talks out of the side of his mouth, real funny. And he says, hey, uh, you know, uh, you think that you're your body? Oh, well, yeah, I think so. Maybe she's her body too then, huh? <laughs> yeah, she's really cute. She's got a pretty body. He said, uh, I bet you'd really like to get next to that, huh? And the guy was like, oh, well, yeah, sure. And Umapati said, well, what if she was dead? The guy said, what? What if she was dead? Would you want to fondle her, kiss her, have sex with her? And I said, no. <laughs> and he said, well, what the hell is the difference? Dead or alive, if she's her body, it's the body you're attracted to, right? But if the body's still there, even if she's freshly dead, still warm. What, you know, is there still... Well, now there's no choice. So in other words, as soon as the soul departs the body, it's garbage. It's ick, you know. You don't really want to touch it. Who wants to touch a dead body? No matter how beautiful it was when it was walking around and how much it tempted you. So what's the difference? Chemical composition isn't changed. The soul left. So the attractive feature of the body has departed. The body is no longer attractive. So we have to learn that. We have to, uh, we have to know that. <coughs> and when we find ourselves being attracted by a body, we have to think of what a body is. We actually have to do like that. You see some uh, person who has a beautiful shape, and you may think, oh, you know, this is very attractive. But then you actually have to realize this is a bag of uh, stool and urine and bones and pus and blood. You know, it's not going to smell good. The bodies don't. The bodies don't smell good. If you open a body up, there's nothing that smells good about it. You know, so your your senses are starting. Your eyes uh, are starting to try to overcome the rest of the senses when you see. Uh, an attractive form like that. Your eyes are trying to get to the brain and say, ah, I'm so attracted. You see. But eyes lose out, don't they? What's the strongest sense? Anybody know what the strongest sense is? The mind. Tongue. Huh? The tongue is most voracious. But what, what dominates all the senses? Hearing, Hearing is, way, is the most important for advancing. But what trumps all the senses? Smell. If you walk into a beautiful room, a beautiful room, but it smells like a decaying body, you're not going to want to stay in there. If somebody gives you a plate of beautiful food, beautiful, beautiful foodstuffs, but it smells bad. You're not, you know, you can't, you can't handle it. If you see a beautiful, handsome person, but they've got really bad breath, and that where they don't bathe, you know, this, this, the sense of smell says, forget this. Forget it. I'm shutting everything. I'm out of here. I hate this. So it, it, it's the trunk, you know, of the senses sense of smell will shut everything down. You see. The eyes get you attracted, but then the nose can the nose has the right of refusal. You get up close and the nose says, oh no, forget this. No. <laughs> so um, men with a poor fund of knowledge mistake the bodily machinery to be the living being. But the fact is the living being is the basis of the bodily machine. The bodily machine is useless as soon as the living spark is away, is, is away from it. Similarly, the original source of all material energy is the Supreme Person. 
This fact is expressed in all Vedic literatures, and all exponents of spiritual science have accepted this truth. The living force is called Brahman, and one of the greatest Acharyas, teachers, named, namely Sripad Sankaracharya, <coughs> has preached that Brahman <coughs> is substance, whereas the cosmic world is category. The original source of all energies is the living force, and he is logically accepted as the supreme person. He is therefore conscious of everything past, present, and future and also of every of each and every corner of his manifestations, both material and spiritual. An imperfect living being does not even know what is happening within his own personal body. He eats his food, but does not know how this food is transformed into energy or how it sustains his body. When a living being is perfect, he is aware of everything that happens. The sense of the, of, of the Supreme Person is all perfect. It is quite natural that he knows everything all, in all detail. Consequently, the perfect personality is addressed in the Srimad Bhagavatam as Vasudev, or one who lives everywhere in full consciousness and in full possession of his complete energy. All of his, all of this is clearly explained in Srimad Bhagavatam, and the reader has ample opportunity to study this critically. <clears throat> in the modern age, Lord Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu preached the Srimad Bhagavatam by practical demonstration. It is easier to penetrate into the topics of Srimad Bhagavatam through the medium of Sri Chaitanya's causeless mercy. Therefore, a short sketch of his life and precepts is inserted herein to help the reader understand the real merit of Srimad Bhagavatam. So, uh, in, in uh, studying Srimad Bhagavatam, you will, as time goes by, you will realize that you are living the Srimad Bhagavatam. This philosophy is happening. It's not like something, it's not a story that happened long ago and far away, you see. It's a philosophy that, of, of the, um, uh, that explains the interactions of living entities with the Supreme Lord, describes the uh, material world and spiritual worlds, and how everything happens, and you'll come to realize the Bhagavatam philosophy is eternally happening. You'll, you're caught up in living this. So once you understand that, you'll understand your life. You'll understand how the people around you uh, work, how they, what they react to, how the world works. You, you get an understanding, an uplifting of your consciousness, you see, an awareness of who you are, where you are, what your goal is, and what are the rules of this place? We don't, you understand the rules of the material world, you see, and what you have to do with it. So uh, the philosophy of Bhagavatam is happening, you see. It's real and it's eternal. Not a story that was told. Some people try to make it like that, you know, that don't, that don't understand. But it's a philosophy, it's a revelation as to What's going on? You know. <clears throat> it is imperative that one learn the Srimad Bhagavatam from the person Bhagavatam. The person Bhagavatam is one whose very life is Srimad Bhagavatam in practice. Since Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is the absolute personality of Godhead, he is both Bhagavan and Bhagavatam in person and in sound. Therefore, his process of approaching <clears throat> the Bhagavatam is practical for all people of the world. It was his wish that the Srimad Bhagavatam be preached in every nook and corner of the world by those who happened to take their birth in India. The Srimad Bhagavatam is the science of Krishna, the absolute personality of Godhead, of whom we have 
preliminary information from the text of Bhagavad Gita. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has said that anyone, regardless of what he is, who is well-versed in the science of Krishna, Srimad Bhagavatam and Bhagavad Gita, can become an authorized preacher or preceptor in the science of Krishna. There is a need for the science of Krishna in human society for the good of all suffering humanity of the world. And we simply request the readers of, of all nations to pick up this science of Krishna for their own good, for the good of society, and for the good of all, all the world's people. A short sketch of the life and teachings of Lord Chaitanya, the preacher of Srimad Bhagavatam. Lord Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the great apostle of love of God and the father of the congregational chanting of the holy name of the Lord, advented himself in Sridham Mayapur, a quarter of a, a quarter in the city of Navadweep in, uh, in Bengal. <coughs> on the Palgun Puran, evening of the year 1407, uh, Sakabada, corresponding to February 1486 by the Christian calendar. His father, Sri Jagannath Mishra, a learned Brahmin from the district of Shilet, uh, came to Navadweep as a student because at the time, Navadweep was considered to be the center of education and culture. He domiciled on the banks of the Ganges after marrying Srimati Sachidevi, a daughter of Srila Nilambara Chakravati, the great learned <coughs> scholar of Navadweep. Jagannath Mishra had a number of daughters by his wife, Srimati Sachidevi, and most of them expired at an early age. Two surviving sons, Sri Vishwarup and <coughs> Vishwambar, <coughs> became at last the object of their parental affection. The tenth and youngest son, who was named Vishwambar, later <coughs> excuse me, became known as Nimai Pandit. And then, after accepting the renounced order of life, Lord Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Lord Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu accept, uh, exhibited his transcendental activities for 48 years and this then disappeared in the year 1455 Sakanda at Puri. For his first 24 years, he remained at Navadweep as a student and householder. His wife was Srimati Lakshmi Priya, who died at an early age when the Lord was away from home. <coughs> When he returned from East Bengal, he was requested by his mother to accept a second wife, and he agreed. The second wife was Srimati Vishnu Priyadevi, who bore the separation of the Lord through her, through her life because the Lord took the order of sannyas at the age of 24, when Srimati Vishnu Priya was barely 16 years old. After taking sannyas, the Lord made his headquarters at Jagannath Puri, where he requested of his mother, Srimati Sachidev, uh, uh, due to the request of his mother, Srimati Sachidev. <coughs> the Lord remained for 24 years at Puri. For six years of this time, he traveled continuously all over India, and especially through the southern India, uh, through southern India, preaching the Srimad Bhagavatam. Lord Chaitanya not only preached the Srimad Bhagavatam, but propagating the, propagated the teachings of the Bhagavad Gita as well as the most practical, uh, as well in the most practical way. In the Bhagavad Gita, Lord Sri Krishna depicted as the absolute personality of Godhead. Uh, excuse me. In the in the Bhagavad Gita, Lord Sri Krishna is depicted as the absolute personality of Godhead. And his last teachings in that great book of transcendental knowledge instruct that one should give up all the modes of religious activities and accept him, Lord Sri Krishna, as the only worshipful Lord. Now he's not saying that he's the only uh, manifestation of Godhead, but 
if you want to know what he wants you to do, he wants you to accept him as the only worshipable Lord. And therein we may have some arguments with other, you know, people of other faiths. You know, when we say, no, you can, you can do what you want to do. You can worship your form of God or whatever. But Krishna has asked you if you want to please him. But, you know, highest, uh, topmost, worship him as the only worshipable Lord. I heard someone say something really special about Krishna. That he's so kind that he comes and he speaks Bhagavad Gita. He gives this perfect philosophy by which we can come to know him. And then he comes again to make sure, make sure we get it. This <laughs> Yeah. Comes himself twice, just just for us. Yeah. You you can see his his uh, his mindset. He's eager. I mean, he really really wants us to to be liberated and go back home. Krishna is just he's a mushy, loving kind of guy. I mean, he he bends over backwards for. He comes, look what he went through when he was here as Krishna, you know. Look what he did to, just so Kali Yuga, he fought that whole war. He caused the whole thing to happen and then went through that whole endeavor. Just so Kali Yuga would start out on a positive note, you see. And then, after 4,500 years, he comes again and changes all the rules. I'm going to give you the holy name. All you have to do is chant this holy name. And you'll be saved. Give up religion. Surrender me. I'll do it for you. What a deal. Now, where does it say that in, in any other religious philosophy? Where God says, you just surrender to me and I'll do it all for you. Most of them talk about Penance and austerity, and, you know, the Mayavadis. Look what the Mayavadis have to go through to get their goal. You know, these new ages that think that they can achieve the impersonal Brahman by chanting Om for five minutes a day and uh, twisting around. You know, they're thinking they're going to achieve the impersonal Brahman and still toss down a few beers and have some illicit sex and maybe once in a while have a quarter pounder. Even though they're, they, they claim to be vegans, they still are tempted, you know, to have, uh, you know, at, at Christmas time, or the holidays, when, they're, when they go home to visit their parents, you mean to tell me that they, without the philosophy, you know, that they don't have a little bit of some kind of a critter that's on their Christmas table, you know, some carcass that they've baked and carved, you see? And they believe, they really believe that they, because they do yoga and they chant home, they're going to they're going to go the impersonal Brahman. But I mean, to get to the impersonal Brahman, it's a lot harder than where we're going. We're going to Goloka Vrindavan, and our ticket's real cheap. Chant Hare Krishna, surrender to Krishna. He'll do it for you. Or you can withhold the senses. Wouldn't get deep sense control, sit in a, in a uh, secluded place, acoustic grass mat, deer skin, perfect posture, perfect breathing, you see, perfect asana, and focus within for years. You have to do this. Like all of your life, it has to be almost everything, the only thing you do. And if you are good at that, you can achieve the impersonal Brahman liberation. You know, or you can chant Hare Krishna, surrender to Krishna, and he'll do it for you. you know, so that's what Lord Chaitanya is uh, he's pushing us to do. Just, hey, just chant Hare Krishna. You know. In 1976, we had the first Rathiatra ever in New York. Big Rathyatra. Srila Prabhupada came and he rode on Lady Subhadra's cart. And uh, Jayananda Prabhu built these carts that were like four stories high. They were giant. 
gigantic, huge. And we're going to go down Fifth Avenue. The police have blocked off Fifth Avenue. And so um, here we go down Fifth Avenue in these gigantic carts that look like moving skyscrapers. They look like big buildings rolling down the road. The, the, the wheels were, you know, nine feet in diameter, seven or eight feet, something like that. Taller than we were, than a person was. And uh, so anyway, we took the carts down to Washington Square Park and had just a fabulous festival. And then that night, we had to get them back to the 63rd Street Pier when we had them, you know, where the carts had been built, and that's where they're going to be stored. But we can't go up Fifth Avenue. As soon as we got down to the end, you know, the police opened it up, and, it, and New York became New York again, you see. So there's no taking the carts back up Fifth Avenue, so we had to take the carts back through some back streets. You know, and we had the police helping us, but it was like going through not so nice neighborhoods. It was not the Fifth Avenue, see. We're going through, you know, some low-class neighborhoods. And so there were people hanging out of windows and on street corners, and, and they were, you know, they were amazed. Look what's going through our neighborhood. Three gigantic carts, four stories high. You know, our carts were as high as some of the buildings that were going past. So they were kind of amazed. So some people were respectful, but a lot of people were making fun of us. Here's a bunch of us, you know, dressed in, in rags and pulling these big carts. And of course, we're chanting Hare Krishna as we go. And so the people will be hanging out the windows and some people, oh, look at you guys. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, 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 Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Hare Hare. They're making fun of us. So uh, with great endeavor, we finally got the carts back to the 63rd Street Pier, got them stashed, <clears throat> went to the temple on 55th Street, uh, and Prabhupada was still up. So Prabhupada is like, so, it is okay, everything is, yes, yes, Prabhupada is okay. Uh, but Prabhupada, there were many people along the way, many of them were making fun of us. You know, our feelings were hurt. We wanted Prabhupada to make us feel better, you know, because what we've gone through, you know. And Prabhupada said, he said, you know, they're making fun of us. <clears throat> and Prabhupada said, yes, they're making great advancement. <laughs> Prabhupada said, you speak this mantra one time and you are finished. That doesn't mean we don't chant 16 rounds daily. He said one time. He said it again in my accord. He said one time. Somebody utters this mantra one time, very soon they'll be liberated. This is the potency of Maha Mantra. Even if you say it in such a way as you're trying to be offensive. You know. so yes? If someone gets liberated, say like in the personal problem, is it, you, you eventually come back, right? Like you said, you come back. Eventually, yeah. <clears throat> but after that, after that liberation, is it, is it easier then to attain, you know, liberation into Krishna's? Yeah, yeah. Because you've touched the stove. <clears throat> you know, you know the stove's hot, hot. You went that way. You came to a crossroads. You can go left or you can go right. Fork in the road. You went to the left and found out the bridge is out. That doesn't work. So here you are back. Now you know this has got to be better than where you were. So yeah, it's a boost. Let's best use our intelligence. Let's not go there. Let's go to Goloka Brindavan. Lord Chaitanya, where was I now? Uh, unfortunately, despite Lord Sri Krishna's direct order and the teachings of Sh uh, uh, and the teachings of the Bhagavad Gita, less intelligent people misunderstand him to be nothing but a great historical personality, and thus they cannot accept him as the original personality of Godhead. Such men, with a poor fund of knowledge, are misled by many non-devotees. 
<clears throat> Thus the teachings of the Bhagavad Gita are mis misinterpreted even by great scholars. After the disappearance of Lord Sri Krishna, there were hundreds of commentaries on the Bhagavad Gita uh, by many erudite scholars, and most every one of them was motivated by self-interest. That's why, you know, sometimes people will say, well, I've read the Bhagavad Gita. And you say, all right, was it Bhagavad Gita as it is by A.C. Bhaktivinata Swami? Oh, no, no, it was by uh, Swami snatched a dollar, I think. <laughs> you know, some bogey yogi. Yeah, so, uh, well, you know, we, we suggest you read the Bhagavad Gita as it is. Oh, well, I've already read it. I didn't get that much from it. Yeah, we read this one. Why? Because it wasn't done for, by, for any self-interest. That's why it's called as it is. You know, it's presented without any spin. The no spin Bhagavad Gita. I was reading some Bhagavad Gita last night, and um, I honestly don't, I don't know much Sanskrit, but like when they have the they have the that word that's Sanskrit, and they have what it what it means, and then the English translation, like they had yoga, and then they had in the verses devotional service, but isn't bhakti yoga devotional service? So how can they? Ah, uh, yeah, it is. But in that instance, it's, uh, yoga was being used as devotional service. And actually, yoga should culminate in, in bhakti yoga. Now, all yogas are, are a stepping stone towards bhakti yoga. You know, you start out, um, uh, well, you know, uh, asana. You, you, you learn how to sit. So you be comfortable. You know? And then you learn how to breathe. So you'll be healthy. You know, and, and your body's work, so you're comfortable, you're working, uh, right? Um, and then, then you, you learn to do, you, you get in a good state. And then you, you feel kindness to all living entities. So you're progressing to the point where you're actually becoming civilized to the point to, to perform bhakti yoga. Or, we can come as Western ruffians with no qualification and just start performing bhakti yoga. Lord Chaitanya will accept it. Even though we haven't done asana or niyam, yam and niyam, we haven't done any. We haven't, we haven't climbed the ladder. But yet we're on top. We're where they want to go and where they've all tried to go for centuries and thousands of years. It, the top is bhakti yoga. Well, I've heard that people who are able to come to devotional service understand Krishna, understand the value of chanting, that they've performed all the Vedic rituals in past lives. Yeah. So is it is it a combination? Is it like one or the other? Is it a combination? But it, that's not always the case. Sometimes Krishna just says, hey, you know, I like you. I'm going to give you a shot at the real prize. You haven't done anything, you don't deserve anything, but you know what? Here you go. You know, so just out of his loving kindness, he's going to say, hey, you know. But, uh, it's logical to, uh, uh, I guess we could say assume, or to believe, that we've done something, for the most part, most of us have done something, and more than likely we've done all there is to do, you know. And, but maybe we've done nothing. It doesn't have to be. It's just been awarded. Krishna says, you know, I'm feeling really good. I'm feeling really warm and fuzzy. I want you to come back home and I'm going to give you association with my pure devotee. I'm going to allow you to come into my sampradaya. This is huge. I mean, I'm not talking about being a follower or having faith or a member of a church. I want you to enter into my sampradaya. I want you to receive the energy from my sampradaya, become guru, and distribute it. 
this is, uh, it's over our head to understand this. Sorry, Lily. She wanted me to stir up the stuff in the stove, which she cooked early this morning, and make sure it's hot. So yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no problem. We're about. We're going to wrap it up pretty soon, I guess. So, you see what we're doing? This isn't, you know, like we're not folks that just go to church. We can be if we want to be. We don't have to enter this sampradaya. We could say, well, you know, thanks a lot, but no thanks, you know. I think I'm just going to be a little curious. Well, come take prasadam and chant a little bit, because I don't know if I if I, I don't know if I want to enter into the sampradaya. You know, I mean, maybe I do, but maybe I don't. I don't know. This is kind of scary. You know, we don't have to do that. But we, what Krishna is offering, and what He wants us to do, is to become part of His sampradaya. That he wants you to become part of the disciplic succession. He wants you to be it. And connect others. Become guru yourself. Accept guru and become guru. That's what he wants. You don't have to. You can say no. But that's the offer on the table. It's pretty far out, isn't it? <laughs> It's, you know, makes you a little nervous to think about it sometimes. But then he's saying, and I know this is impossible for you to do, but I'll do it for you. I will make you a part of my sampradaya. I will make you a guru. I will work through you if you'll surrender. I'll work through you. And people will think that it's you delivering all these masses of people. They'll believe it's you. You know. But it's really me. I, I want to act through you. I want you to be glorified. I'm going to do this. And I want and I want to I want to use you to do it. What an offer. <laughs> it's it sounds too good to be true. Remember, Mama always told us if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And if it was coming from anybody but Krishna, I'd say, well, wait a minute, this sounds too, this too, too good to be true. But from God, hey, you know, where do I sign? You got the contracts? Let's write this up, you know. Get this notarized. <laughs> so should we go on? What, what time do you want to, how long do you want to, we're going to wrap it up at, say, 9 or what? That's probably a better thing, huh? We'll go for another few minutes. Before I read on, is there any conversation or any discussion? That's yes. a quick follow-up, because you were talking about all the bogus versions. Yeah. Do they, so they have, do they have like different... They sound a lot different as it is, because I haven't read them. They're similar, but they... Uh, most of them lean towards the impersonal feature, you know, because Krishna doesn't deny the existence, excuse me, of the impersonal Brahman. You know, was it the ninth chapter where he's discussing, Arjuna wants to know which is better, impersonal realization or being your devotee? Mm. You know, and Krishna says, well, uh, I think it's more perfect to be my devotee. How can you interpret that? Yeah. And he says, but if you want to, you can pursue this, but it's very difficult. It's hard. He's not saying, oh, there is no such thing. No, it's there. You can become liberated into the impersonal Brahman. But he says, it's very difficult. So, but he doesn't give uh, an order like, you know, you're going to be damned to hell if you don't become my devotee. You're going to go to hell if you try to be, uh, you know, if you, if you try to achieve Brahman realization. He didn't say that. He said, hey, that's what you want, go for it. But I want to warn you, it's tough. Doable, but way tough. So we see that Prabhupada was like really heavy though, about the person. Is it just like impressed as a point how much 
better devotional services? Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's many reasons for, for that. Um, John Waitam Maharaj and I were talking one time. Um, <clears throat> when I'm with him in Mayapur, a lot of times we'll just we'll have a lunch alone and just get. You know, you can't be around Jaiway tomorrow. I should stop getting way deep. You know, way deep. I'm always afraid he's going to take me over my head. You know, so way deep. I'd be over my head if I didn't have him to hold on to. You know, so. And we were talking about, uh, he was saying, remember when we first started reading? This is him talking. He said, remember when we first started reading Bhagavad Gita? And I said, yeah. He said, you heard all of a sudden Prabhupada's talking about these Maya bodies. And then he goes on, and he goes on, and boy, he's really, he's hammering these Maya bodies. And after a while, you start to think, who the heck are these guys? I mean, did they tease him when he was a kid? I mean, did they hassle him on his way to school? You know, I mean, he really, he's hammering these, who the heck are these guys? And as you read and chant, you start to realize He's talking about me. I'm the Maya body. I'm a Maya body. I always have been, or at least in this life. So Prabhupada is, is being heavy on the Maya bodies because he's trying to wake us up. You ever, uh, you ever hear an alcoholic when they're talking, they never say, I used to be an alcoholic. They say, I'm a recovering alcoholic, which means I still am, but I'm recovering. You get me around booze, and, and I'm going to be drunk, but I stay away from it, and I work on it. Boy, i got to work on it. Ooh, but I'm stay I've been sober for 17 years, 14 days, 6 hours, and 27 minutes, and I wanted to drink every minute of it. You, know? you ever hear that? Yeah. Like that? So I like to think of myself, and I say, to people. I'm a recovering impersonalist. I'm a recovering impersonalist. Give me a chance in the right circumstance <clears throat> and I'll get impersonal again. I'm not cured yet. I'm, I'm taking the cure, but I'm afraid that I'm not totally cured from this impersonalism. <clears throat> it's deep uh, ingrained in our material psyche. <clears throat> you see. We were, we've been impersonal for so many lifetimes that now, all of a sudden, in a few years, we're trying to overcome it. And we're, we're doing well. We're making progress. But we're, we're a work in progress. We're, we're not out of the woods yet, as they say. Mm -hmm. So the category of impersonalists is basically anybody who's not a Christian conscious, because it could be, atheist doesn't believe in anything. Yeah, they're still not personal. So, I mean, everybody's mind body is not a Christian basically. Yeah, for, to, to varying degrees. Because they don't see the Supreme Godhead as someone that they want to run up to and throw their arms around his neck. You see, God is the spirit of love. What the heck does that mean? You know? God is everything that, that is good. He <laughs> said, hot fudge Sunday? You know. <clears throat> so, um, yeah, um, I'll, I'll give you a, a, a good, there are many people who are my bodies who don't know that they're my bodies. Uh, the Kashmiri Shivites. Uh, you can talk to them and they'll say, oh, but we are not my body. No, no, we worship Lord Shiva. The form of Lord Shiva. No, we're not Mayavadi. Mayavadi, no, 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 not me. And you say, oh, okay, that's very good. So, uh, Lord Shiva, wonderful, pure devotee. Yeah. So you worship Shivaji as the supreme. Oh, yes, yes, yes. So when you achieve mukti, liberation, you will go to Shivaji. Oh, yes, oh, yes. So what will you and Shiva do? What will be your pastimes? And they look at you and they twist their head. And, well, what, well, what will you do? What will you and Shiva do with liberation? 
Oh, well, you misunderstand. Lord Shiva, in liberated stage, he is unmanifest. I will be unmanifest with Shivaji. You see? So in other words, God is ultimately unmanifest. But they're personless because they believe in his form. And when he comes to the material world, he takes a form. When he leaves, he goes into like hair or whatever, you see. Now, you can speak with, with most Christians. <clears throat> I don't know if I should say it that way. Because <clears throat> I haven't spoken with most Christians. I've spoken with a lot of Christians. Let's say it that way. A lot of Christians. Most that I've spoken to. They will tell you they believe that they are not my bodies. They believe that Lord Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. Okay, what is he when he's not in the flesh? Oh, he's the spirit of love. And he's the... Why are you asking questions out there? Yeah. Gee. I gotta say, I gotta, I gotta say that you, you, you're definitely right. But I'm from, I'm from the Orthodox Christian background, which is a very traditional, and they do believe that you get a new body, you do get a new body when you. Yeah. So they do believe. And and there are the Orthodox. The or, they believe right. you get a new body, right. and that God has a body. Right. So they're a step ahead. What you're going to do with him, they don't really give you much information. Yeah. You know? uh, what does he want? What's he look like? Uh, what, what will your pastimes be when you get there? Yeah. Uh, uh, they, they, they have a poor fund of knowledge on that. But, they, but they're, uh, you, we really can't classify them as my body. You know, they actually believe, uh, you know, there's, I'm going to have a body. God will be there and he'll have a body. I'll be able to touch him, although I don't know if I will approach him to touch him, but he's touchable. You know. <clears throat> so, yeah. So we're the my bodies. But we're, we're recovering. So, you know, Prabhupada hammers the my bodies again and again. Why? It's not that he hates them. He's trying to wake us up. He's trying to throw cold water in our face. Get over it. Get over it. Dump the mind, dump the, dump the impersonal uh, process, the impersonal conception. Dump it. You know? So, all right, anything else? All right, all boys to show a problem. Jai! 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 Jai!